Today on Ag News Daily. Um, as close as I think any other farmer, because something like NAFTA drives a lot of the price that I get for my corn, beans, for my cattle. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are coming to you from the parking lot of the Whippy Dip here in Decorah, Iowa. We are sitting, well, I'm Mike Pearson, joined as always by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are things? Things are good. I'm getting a little, you're, you're testing my patience. I'm ready to be done with this road trip. Well, we got a long way to get home. Uh, yeah, we sure do. Love mm-hmm. you too, Delaney. Yeah. yeah. So, and that voice you hear, ladies and gentlemen, is the one and only Ted Cipher. Ted, how you doing today? Doing fantastic, Mike. We're at the Whippy Dip, so life couldn't <laughs> be better. We just had ice cream. You've you've gotten over the USDA surprise no, on the report today. Not You're, really. Okay, but but that's okay. And we'll come back and we'll talk about what this means for the markets a little bit later on. We are also joined today by Paul Hunter, a man known on Twitter as Northeast Iowa Farmer. He is here in Decorah. Paul, thanks for taking the time to join us. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming through Decorah. Good to see you guys. All right, folks, so what we're going to do today is Delaney and I are going to talk about a couple news stories. Not a whole lot. There's just one or two that are really jumping out and need our attention. We'll hit the markets, and then we're going to jump it over to Ted and Paul, and we're going to get their thoughts. What are crops looking like up here in northeast Iowa, Wisconsin? And what can we expect with the big USDA surprise today with the corn yield on today's WASD report? So, Delaney, what news stories do you think we need to make sure we hit today? I think the big one for me today is that we're not going to have a NAFTA anytime soon. Uh, Christia Freeland was in Washington, D.C. Nothing really came about. The dairy is, is not getting in concessions. The dairy industry isn't. She's very tight-lipped about what went on behind closed doors, and they're not going to meet again until November. So we're not going to get anything until at least November on a NAFTA trade deal between Canada. Okay, Ted, NAFTA. Is that going to be a huge mover of the markets before the midterms? Not with, uh, not as far as negotiations with Canada are concerned, not really in the in the agricultural markets. Um, our main concern is Mexico, and we seem to have come to terms with Mexico. Now, a lot of people say that we can't have a deal with Mexico, and still have NAFTA in place. But as long as we know that Mexico is going to continue buying corn, soybeans, and hogs from us, which they have been doing. Uh, I don't think you're going to have a big effect on the market. At least you're not. I don't think you're going to put a lot of downside pressure on the market because of a, a non-NAFTA deal right now. We've already priced in whatever downside from NAFTA is there. Yeah, that's right. We haven't really seen any effect of, on our on our corn, soybean, or hog exports to Mexico because of it. So I, I don't think we really need to beat the markets up much more for that. Why didn't we see? I think a lot of farmers are confused why we didn't see more of a price fluctuation when we had the news finally that we've reached an agreement with Mexico. Well, because technically we can't just have an agreement with Mexico and not have an agreement with Canada. Um, Trump has said that NAFTA is no longer, but it technically still is there. Uh, so there's still a lot of question marks about how this is going to go moving forward. Uh, but ultimately, it does sound like the key to us uh, for, for agriculture is Mexico. It sounds like we're, we're on good terms with them. Uh, so longer term, I'm optimistic about it. Paul, how closely are you watching what's going on in the NAFTA agreement and NAFTA negotiations? Um, as close as I think any other farmer, because something like NAFTA drives a lot of the price that I get for my corn, beans, for my cattle. Um, I, as a as a farmer who's been a Trump supporter, um, uh, some of us are getting tired of waiting, and it's got to happen sooner rather than later, uh, or he's gonna. I'm gonna lose my faith in the art of the deal. Yeah. 
definitely. Well, yeah, yeah, and I think we've heard that from a number of people here over the past couple of weeks. Now, we do have some good news here, and this could play into President Trump's hands, especially as we head into the midterm. Uh, Trump, the administration, reached out to China for a new round of trade talks earlier today. Of course, this is on the heels of the Trump administration announcing that, yeah, we're going to look pretty hard at putting another $200 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese goods. However, the fact that Steven Mnuchin, current Treasury Secretary, is reaching out to his Chinese counterpart, including Vice Premier Li He, or Li He, and uh, they're going to hold another bilateral meeting. So hopefully that'll get some things done. Paul, if we can get something done with China, even if it's just a letter of agreement or something that shows that maybe China caved, would that bring you right back into President Trump's camp? Um, it's a good start. I mean, uh, we keep hearing these... Uh that it's starting and stopping and starting and stopping. It's, if this is just another start and the stop is right around the corner, it's not going to matter much to me. The, the thing I keep thinking of is why is the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, the one that is doing these trade talks? Does he have any power to do anything? No, the, uh, these are low-level trade talks again. And, and this is more secretarial work on setting up further meetings. So while it is... A positive thing in the market. I mean, look, they came out uh, an hour before a USDA report here today, uh, and we saw soybeans rally 10 cents on a report day in front of a report. That's really very rare. Um, and then soybeans closing higher on the day, even with a bearish report. Now, the report was very close to expectations as far as soybean yield increasing. We were bracing for that. We knew it was coming or really expected it to come, uh, and with a bigger carryover coming in close to what the traders expecting. So we, we didn't necessarily need to really uh, be sharply lower in beans today, but I think the big reason why we were higher is because of you know trade, trade talks resuming and some further optimism. We're really hoping that the big guys, both presidents, get in the same room and talk things out uh, before November, and that's really where we could see some progress. What do you think the likelihood of that happening is, Ted? Well, Delaney, I, I, you know how I feel. I really don't, I, I don't have a lot, personally don't have a whole lot of optimism of getting much done with China. I think there are too many fundamental differences that we have. We're asking for a lot from China, uh, and China really uh, is in a position where they can't really budge on this. They, they are not in a position to lose a trade war. So, I don't know. Um, I'm hoping that something gets done with tariffs, but I think as, as a whole, the trade war is something that we're going to be dealing with for a generation. Paul, you're a producer. You have said that you may lose faith in President Trump if he doesn't, you know, uh, master the art of the deal, so to speak. Are you thinking about this in terms of happening four years on down the road? I mean, we've talked to a lot of producers that think, oh, it's going to be resolved by the end of the year is that kind of the, the mindset you're in or are you looking at this as a long-term year two years potentially being that long as a trade war how short is your yeah. patience for president trump you're gonna give him six months a year i don't know if i have a real timeline set up but in, at the end of august when we were negotiating with landlords for next year's crop rental rates um it came up i mean it could I, I'm typically a person who likes to set longer-term rental rates uh, for do three-year contracts, and this year we kind of went to a shorter-term year-to-year thing because neither I nor the landlord wants to get stuck in a spot where it doesn't work out for either of us. And so I guess you have to look at it, be willing to look at it as a two- or three-year deal, even though you're hoping it's a short-term fix. And will you take advantage of any of the assistance package program that's coming out? You have to. Um, uh, $1.65 on the first half of your soybeans, um, if you figure that's uh, 
five cents roughly on your soybean crop, that covers about the basis that we lost and not much else. Uh, so you have to take it. You don't have a choice. Yeah. When the government gives you money, you take the money. Right. I mean, that's then there's no, there's no shame in that. They're offering it. It's a program because it was caused by the launch of the trade war. Take it. Absolutely. No shame in that. Now, the government can do positive things for agriculture. It can also do negative things. That's true in the U.S. It's also true in China. One of the stories we've been talking about for the past, oh gosh, getting up on a month now, is the outbreak of African swine fever in China. Of course, China has been fairly tight-lipped on it. Their uh, state-run media organizations have said they're getting a good handle on it. However, Earlier today, China banned the transport of live hogs and pig products from 10 regions bordering the six provinces that have already frozen live hog movement. And uh, these are the places where African swine fever is known to have broken out. They are shutting down live markets. And uh, these are the regions that, that send just about 50% of their production south towards the Chinese capital of Beijing for finishing of that pork. So this is going to be a huge issue. Obviously, it's going to hurt the the economy of those uh, those regions that are seeing this market shut down. It's going to incentivize black market hog movement, which I hadn't considered. But, you know, you think of a guy shoving a, you know, 100-pound pig squealing in the trunk of his little car and driving south to capture a premium. We're going to see that happen, but Ted... We've been talking a lot about the trade war and the impact this is going to have mm-hmm. on soybean demand. And there's been a lot of folks saying, hey, China's got a growing hog herd. They're going to need to buy soybeans or bean meal regardless. Is this, does this outbreak change your mind yet, or is this just something you're keeping an eye on for Chinese bean demand? Well, you know, China's going to say that this is a precautionary measure. Mm-hmm. China is not going to say that this is a bigger problem. Um, but to me, this really smells like an act of desperation. Uh, I think the problem in China is getting much bigger than what they want to see, obviously. I, I think it's c- sort of getting out of control, uh, hence the moves today. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is a big problem. I, I, I look at the Chinese demand. The USDA still has them, left it unchanged today, but it still has them 5.1 million metric tons above their overall demand from last year. I think with the Chinese, uh, or with the, with the uh, African swine flu, uh, along with the real want to lower that demand uh, due to the trade wars that we're having, I think they're going to be able to do it. I think they're going to be able to tighten their belt much more than what the USDA is saying right now. I am very concerned that the USDA is overstating their crush demand by about well, 6 to 10 million metric tons. And guess where that, if they're able to cut that back, and again, really going to be helped out by, by African swine flu, if they are able to cut that back, guess where that's coming from? That's coming straight off of our exports and right onto our balance sheet, or right onto our carryover. And there's a very clear path to a billion bushel plus carryover in soybeans. How many hogs would they have to cull before it becomes a problem where they need to either import pork or import another protein source into the country? Yeah, and that's a good question. We're not going to know those numbers. I really don't think we will. We'll know what that number is when they start actually importing. Uh, well, we'll see it in, a, in two ways. We'll see it in a drop of, of soybean imports, and we'll see an increase of pork coming in from other countries. Let me ask you this, then. Do you see them importing pork? Or do you see them importing beef? I mean, beef hasn't really been hit yet by these trade war talks. Do you It's still fairly cheap. Yeah. 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 Okay, so uh, China has a a lot of restrictions on U.S. beef, and they're very particular about the beef that they want. Uh, But the bigger problem, or maybe not a problem, but the problem for beef is that China has a taste for pork. That is their protein of choice, far and away. That's their culture. 
Um, I, I think it's going to be a tough sell for them to try to increase beef consumption. Maybe this will help that along, especially if the price difference is, is so great that they can look to that substitute. But no, I, I think they're just going to be looking for pork demand elsewhere. And unfortunately, unlike soybeans, where we talk about demand displacement, or you know, if China goes and has to buy pork from other places, then other countries are going to have to buy from us. You don't really have that, at least not to the same extent in soybeans, in pork. So um, in, a long, in a long run, it might be slightly supportive for our, 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 our hogs market, but I don't see it as being a big game changer. The biggest market impact that I see uh, this having is on soybeans. Uh, let's hop over to the markets now before we get to talking about today's report that was released. Absolutely, Delaney. And of course, folks, remember, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. We were sitting at this table with Ted Seifert and Mr. Zaner himself, Matt Zaner. These folks, they can help you out with any of your marketing needs. Give them a shout. Ted loves to talk to growers, loves to make sure we've, you've got a plan in place to at least manage your marketing risk. So call them at 312-277-0050 or visit the website at zaner.com. And as we take a look at the markets today, as Ted alluded to earlier, the shock was on the corn side in today's report. The September contract closed down 13 and three quarter cents at 341 and a half. December down 14 and a quarter, closed at 352 and a half. Soybeans surprised us all by climbing a little bit. The uh, September contract was up eight and three quarters at 829 even. November up eight and a quarter to finish at 840 even. Looking over at Chicago wheat, of course, probably weighed on by the corn market today. Chicago September contract down 12 cents at 481 and three quarters. The December also dropped 12 to finish at 506 and three quarters. Looking over at the livestock side, we've got a surprising amount of green on the screen, although with corn down 12 cents, it makes sense to see a little bit of green in the cattle business. October live cattle up $2.17 and a half cents at 111.47.50. The December up $1.60, closed at 115.52 and a half. In feeder cattle, the September up two and a half bucks at 154.62 and a half. The October up 257.50 to close at 155.02 and a half. And in lean hog strength continued today. The October contract up $1.32 and a half at 55.80. The December up $1.52 and a half to close at 55.62.50. And of course, we're going to take a quick look at the dairy market. We've been eating a lot of ice cream on this trip. Delaney, let's see if it's done any good. <laughs> Yeah, maybe a little. The September Class 3 milk contract was up two cents at 1613, with the October unchanged on the day to close at 1628. Now we're going to go ahead and jump right into our report synopsis. We're going to get Ted's thoughts on what the USDA reported today, and we're going to get Paul's thoughts on what he's seeing up here in Northern Iowa and, and what has changed over the past year uh, in as far as grain movement is concerned. So, Ted, kick it off. What happened today? Well, we had a USDA report that we would have rather not have had, I suppose. Uh, the market was expecting corn yield to come down slightly, or for the most part, the average trade guest was looking for corn yield to come down slightly. Instead, the USDA went the other way with that and gave us a new record yield by a long shot. We have finally cracked the 180 code, folks. We are at a 181.3. Oh boy, uh, that is a very big, uh, very big yield, a very big corn crop. Now. What that's done is that has added on to our ending stocks, obviously added to production, added on to our ending stocks. However, we did add uh, um, 125 million bushels in, in demand, uh, still looking at a 7.77 billion bushel carryover. That was a sticker shock move that we saw in the markets today, uh, a surprise in the yield. We were down 14, 15 cents, testing the previous lows uh, that we have in corn. However, 
Still below 1.8 billion bushel carryover. Um, to me, this isn't the type of number that suggests that we need to take a new leg lower. A lot of that might be dependent on what happens with soybeans. However, the soybean reaction was actually pretty good today. Now, over on the soybean side of things, we did see the USDA lower, or, I'm sorry, increase soybean carryover to uh, 52.4, which is very close to what the trade was expecting. And we saw ending stocks at 845 million bushels. Again, very close to what the trade was expecting. What we did not see was a big, sharp drop in, in demand. We didn't see a drop in Chinese demand. We didn't see a drop in our exports. So I think the soybean market had a collective sigh of relief, seeing that we didn't do that. And that allowed soybeans to trade a little bit higher on the day. That was certainly helped by news that we are going to be sitting down or trying to sit down and talk to China again. I think that was a big part of the strength that we saw in soybeans today. As far as the wheat was concerned, like Mike said, uh, wheat down pretty good today. Didn't really see much in the way of changes on the, really nothing, no changes on the domestic uh, wheat balance sheet. However, uh, the big thing there is, is they did increase Russian production once again, really continuing to put to bed the idea that Russia will have to be limiting wheat exports this year uh, and taking more premium out of the wheat market, also down in sympathy with corn. Uh, so overall, mixed market in the grains, but corn and wheat under a fairly significant amount of pressure. It will be interesting to see how we follow up on that. As far as uh, livestock are concerned, a little bit of strength there. Pogs finding strength on the idea that we might be talking to China again. Uh, and as Mike said, I think uh, feeder cattle were, were significantly helped out by 15 cents lower in the corn. Ted, I think the markets reacted to the big surprise that we had today with USDA raising corn yields. We've been traveling, you know, uh, north, northern South Dakota, uh, southern South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, etc. We haven't really been seeing the same thing. I mean, we've been taking yield samples here and there. We've had a lot of weather problems this year with the corn crop. Do you think they raised it too much? Well, you know, you look at how they did it state by state, and you look at the ear weights that they're using. Um, you know, a big question was, do we have the ear weights on a crop that's been moving as quickly as this crop has been? It seems that yes, and I've been saying since crop two or three weeks ago that the weights are there. That's not a problem. Kernel depth is there. Uh, but I think there's enough inconsisten inconsistencies with this crop. I really am not sure that Illinois is at a 214. Uh, wow, that is such a big, big jump and a new record by a long shot. I'm not so sure about Iowa being at a 206. Um, I think the Nebraska number is solid. I mean, this is the best Nebraska crop I've seen. Uh, so I don't know. I, 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 this, that's a higher yield number than I would put on this crop. I'm a lot closer to the 176 to 178. Uh, maybe even 179, but not cre not crossing the 180 threshold. I'll be interested to see if that's how we end up. I think this might be the highest yield number we see from the USDA, and I would not be surprised to see that back off here a little bit. Paul, what are, what are you seeing here? Uh, we're getting close to harvest. Are you seeing record yields this year? Are you seeing above average yields? What are you expecting? A lot of it's going to depend on how big your drownout spots are up in our area. Um, <clears throat> in May and June, I had... Uh, for those two months, 23 inches of rain at my house. Uh, and at the end of August and beginning of September, I had, uh, in those 10 days, I had 10 more inches. So it depends on if the spots that drown out this spring are 2%, 3% of your acres, or are they 10%. Um, and we're going to have some significant uh, end shortages in our corn crop up here. Um, it's going to That's going to go a long way to determine how well the test weight uh, comes along and how well the corn fills out. Um, beans are putting pods on the very top node, um, and they're not small pods. They're three and four bean pods. Right. So um, weather like this, uh, after all the rain we had this week of 80 degrees and sunshine every day, is going to go a long ways to finishing off that bean crop.
Absolutely. Ten inches of rain followed by sun. I mean, that, that's how you fill, fill the pods. Now, Paul, we want to talk a little bit about what you're seeing. You're, we're up here in Decorah. For those of you outside the state of Iowa, we are in almost the very northeast corner of the state. We've got Minnesota at 20 miles north. Yep. We've got the Mississippi River 20 miles east. Uh, yeah, 30. 30 miles east. Yep. We've got a uh, fair number of ethanol plants. We've got a lot of dairies up in this part of the state. There is ample corn demand. Paul, over the past year, while we've launched these trade wars, we've seen uh, you know big crops over the past couple of years. What have you seen with regard to the corn market? What's basis been doing up here? And what's the hottest market for growers in northeast Iowa, uh, southeast Minnesota? If there was a crop you could have grown this year and made the most money, it would have been hay. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, the, the hay crop was short last fall because we went through a dry period. Um, and even grinding quality hay right now is worth $100 a ton. Um, if you've got, uh, there'll, be, there'll be an awful lot of nice hay made this week. Um, I'm sure someone will bring uh, 230, 240 a ton. So if if you have surplus hay, this is the year to have it. So Paul, question for you: I had about 160 bales of uh, of, of grass hay, kind of dirt grass hay. It's grind quality hay. I sold it to a neighbor for 35 bucks a bale. Was that a bad business decision? <laughs> you maybe should have called the folks at Zaner. They could have given you a little <laughs> advice on that. Uh, I've I've worked with Ted on my corn and my beans. I don't know how much he does with the alfalfa market, but but you could have uh, you could have done better. Okay. All right. Well, that's story of my life. Could have done better. Yeah. yeah. So so hay market's the hot one, but uh, let's come back to corn. Where is the best? Best place to haul corn here heading into this year's harvest? Uh, around here for the past three or four years has been ethanol plants. Okay. Um, we're 55 miles from a, a couple river terminals, uh, and that's where the bean market has always been the hottest. Um, this year, however, that's changed. Um, we You haul uh, west to Mason City to a, a AGP plant for beans right now. There is really no traffic at the river for beans. Um, oh. The market has disappeared. So, AGP, how far is that from here for you guys to haul to? Uh, it's uh, 120 miles. Yeah. And it's worth it. I mean, there's uh, enough yeah. premium hauling there to... You either go 60 miles to the river or you go you go 120 miles to AGP for a 45-cent better basis oh. right now. Yeah, so. okay, you can make that pencil. Yeah. Okay. Ted, do you, uh, sorry, I'm going to bring it back here to Ted just for a second because the other big thing I think we need to talk about today is um, China's imports. They were cut. Ted, walk us through that. Well, yeah, I, you know, we were talking about it earlier when we were talking about the markets, and uh, you know, China has been cutting their forecast for for their imports. And yes, you know, you can argue that hey, this is propaganda, but I, I think there's some truth to that. And today, they cut their forecast. So previous to today, they were at 94 million metric tons, is where their expectations were. That's down from 110 of what they had originally. So they previous to this morning, they were at 94 million metric tons. The USDA was at 95. The USDA did not make a change on the report here today, but China did on their forecast. They're now at 84 million metric tons. They're cutting 10 million metric tons out of their projected import demand. That is a big deal. That's along the lines of what we were talking about earlier. I, I still think they're going to cut 6 to 10 the USDA needs to cut another six to ten million. Follow suit with what China is doing. I personally believe Chinese numbers. Now, if they were saying sixty-four million metric tons, that's ridiculous. But can they cut 
10 million below where they were last year. I think with the Chinese or the Asian uh, swine, or I'm sorry, African swine flu, um, and with the fact that they really are trying to cut back on demand, I think they can do it. And I'm worried that that's ultimately where the USDA is going to have to go with it too. Price-wise, we had corn down, what, 13, 14 cents, beans up 8 cents on the day, wheat, whatever. What, what, we're going to throw 12, wheat out. Yeah, 12. 12. Chicago. Corn and beans specifically, do you think today's reactions or today's market closes were just a short-term reaction to the WASDE report, or do you expect us to see that close again Thursday, Friday, into next week? reflective of today's report. Yeah, look, Delaney, you know, we have to trade these numbers. Uh, going in, we have expectations, and then we trade versus expectations, and, and the algos trade that. Um, so we're going to get a knee-jerk reaction on a surprise, and that's what we had today in corn. It is a bearish report. It, it probably takes away some of the uh, bullish argument of why we should have a, a, a fairly decent recovery into the winter months. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the bottom line is, that we're, with a, a 181 Plus, national average yield. We're still looking at a declining balance sheet by a fair amount. We're still looking at sub uh, or below a point eight or uh, 1.8 billion bushel carryover. To me, that is a re rather friendly story for corn, and I think we're now getting too cheap in corn. So, longer term, maybe the upside is, is some of the upside has been taken away by by 181.3 national average yield, uh, but I still think we're too cheap, and I do still see upside potential or recovery into the winter months, into the end of the calendar year. All right, Ted. We, we talked about corn. Big dip today. Corn, whatever happens internationally, whatever happens with yield, we're still going to be consuming a lot of that corn here in this country. It's going to go for ethanol, as Paul talked about earlier, but of course it's also going to go for livestock feed. Yep. Now, when we see so much green on the screen today, two bucks in both live and feeder cattle, what are your thoughts? We're sitting here with Paul, cow-calf producer. I love the cattle industry. Yeah. Is this the beginning? Are we going to see a rally based on lower corn prices, or do we need something fundamental to happen on the demand side as well to really kick, let's say, live cattle back up to that 115, 120? Well, you know, Mike, we're already seeing that sort of thing. And, yes, lower corn is certainly helping that cause, but... You look at the, the fourth quarter to first quarter production projected to drop pretty significantly, one of the largest we've seen at that time of year, yet demand is still really relatively strong. Again, uh, consumer confidence at a 13-year high, that, that makes me feel really good that beef demand is going to stay in place. We're going to go out, we're going to be eating our steaks. I know we've been doing a good job of that on this, this tour so far. Uh, and I'm feeling pretty optimistic about cattle going forward. So, yeah, I think 115 is realistic. Uh, we need to get through, I mean, we're still getting through, I'd say, the tail end of this wall of cattle that we've been talking about for months now. So we had supply that we needed to chew through. I think we're doing a good job of that. Cash hasn't really softened too dramatically. I think is poised in a position to go higher uh, as we get into the holiday months and we get into, you know, that uh, some bigger demand months again. Um, and, and, yeah, 115 seems very realistic to me. I also think uh, hogs are, are underpriced, and the hog chart looks like an inverted head and shoulders bottom, which could be a longer-term bottom. At, at 115 live cattle with corn at, let's give it a little bounce, let's call it 360 corn, cash it a little north of $3, <laughs> where can feeders go? Where do you see them running? Can we get back up? Yeah, 172, 175, is that even in the realm of possibility? I, it's in the realm of possibility, but I I think that's maybe a little bit rich. I'm thinking somewhere in the upper 150s, low 160s is kind of my target there. Um, but, you know, it was a good start today. It, and you put a nice reversal on the chart here this week, it's looking like. I mean, we've got to finish out the week and see if it holds. But, um, yeah, ultimately you've got a lot of good fundamentals kind of lining up with some better technicals and optimism down the road. So 
you know, especially if we can get the funds involved and get the speculative crowd involved, maybe we can push that further than than what I would say fundamentally is fair value. But, you know, let's see what the market can do. There's definitely a reason to be optimistic. I think the last thing that really a lot of producers are thinking about right now, it's still a little a little early, but uh, growing for the 2019 growing season. Paul, I'm going to kick it off to you first. What are you looking at for next year's growing crop? Are the trade wars and trade disputes going to have an impact on what you decide to grow next year? Or is the price? Yeah. Price uh, price is a big factor right now. Uh, we're probably I'm probably uh, two thirds corn, one third beans. That could be 80 corn, 20 beans next year. Um, and a lot of that has to do, a lot of it has to do with price. A lot of it has to do with uh, it seems like corn genetics uh, are advancing faster than bean genetics. Um, if with all the issues we had in Iowa this year, if we really pull a 206. Uh, our genetics are starting to look bulletproof, um, and uh, and people say it all the time, but it is really true in my case. Farmers like to grow corn, and that's been true of everybody we've talked to so far on this tour, and it's been true of everybody I've ever worked with. Is it's more fun to grow, it's more fun to harvest, it's a little easier to harvest than beans. Um, I want to circle back because you are a livestock producer. We haven't chatted with many of those so far on this tour. In fact, I believe you're our first non-goose producer Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. right yeah of course Jeff Ryan which uh, which we'll get to later in the weeks folks so stay tuned we do have a great conversation with another livestock producer but Paul tell us watching feeder cattle prices watching the environment cash rental rates pasture rental rates your pasture availability you know the option of pasture versus corn ground do you anticipate the herd up here in northeast Iowa yours or your neighbors growing over the next few years is there enough incentive to pull land back to cow-calf production. I was talking a little bit about this with my dad the other day. Uh, my dad and I farmed together. Um, as a cow-calf producer, I've never had a year where uh, the red ink has just flowed profusely. Um, you can get that if you're raising corn and beans. Um, there's always that, you know, you've, you've already got the cow. Uh, it's, you've already got the pasture. It's a matter of uh, what the price is for the end production and uh, product. Um, it's a lot easier on your cash flow to have cattle than it is corn and beans uh, from a from a cow calf producer because I don't have to buy any of the I don't have to buy the calves. Right. I've actually considered uh, taking 20 acres of my corn ground and uh, seeding it down and making more pasture, uh, having more cows. Um, it's sooner or later you just have to do what makes economically is is economically feasible, whether you like growing corn or not. Um, uh, a few extra cows uh, in my in my position when you've already got when you've already got a herd to add a few uh, makes sense. Right, it's that marginal improvement, and, and at, no matter how how fun growing corn is and how unfun pulling a calf in a snowstorm or a muddy pasture is, at the end of the day, if that calf's going to pay and keep the banker happy, keep the family happy, keep a roof over your head, you're going to add the cow. Absolutely. Gentlemen, before we let you go, really quick here, I want to get both of your Twitter handles. So for folks that don't follow you on Twitter, they sure can and interact with you after the podcast today. Uh, I'm at Nor- any Iowa farmer. At the Ted Spread. I like that, a little monster truck jam voice almost. All right, well, guys, thank you so much today, and this was a fun edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Mike, should we let the people go? Yeah, folks, if you like this version, let us know. Find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, tell us, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more conversations from the road trip. Yes, Delaney, let's let the people go.